about money. Rick Edelman here. You know the drill. We're going to talk about whatever's on your mind. Hope you're enjoying the Olympics as much as me. That's probably not a hard thing for you to be doing. And I am a little discouraged because Olympic athletes from the United States who win gold medals have to pay taxes on the money that they receive. And it isn't all that much money. The United States, I don't know if you know this, but the Olympic uh, Committee pays our athletes for victory. You get $25,000 for bringing home the gold, $15,000 for a silver medal, $10,000 for a bronze medal. And it's taxable income. Now, let, let's just put this into context. How many years does it take for someone to become an Olympic athlete? And how much dedication, skill, hard work, and just flat-out grit does it take to win a medal? And how much money do they spend in all of those years training? Training facilities can be $1,000 a month. The costs of travel, the entry fees for competitions, thousands of dollars a year. How much does it cost to buy the equipment that many of the sports include? What does it cost to buy food? I mean, these athletes are often eating 10,000 calories a day or more. That's a lot of food. And, oh, by the way, none of those expenses are tax deductible because they're not engaging in a business. So if the expenses are not tax deductible, why is their victory taxable? Well, U.S. Senate wants to fix that. They passed a bill earlier this month so that American medalists won't have to pay taxes on their prizes. So that's wonderful. However, let's not get too excited. The House of Representatives didn't take up the legislation before they recessed for the summer. So, for this year, for these games, athletes who win medals are going to have to pay taxes on the money they receive, which could take away a third of the money they get. So, 25 grand, subtract $8,000 or thereabouts. If the House finally does pass the bill, and if the president signs it, then the tax exemption would apply starting with the games in 2020. So we'll have to wait and see if that happens. By the way, America is pretty stingy on the money that it pays our Olympic athletes. We give, as I said, $25,000 to somebody who wins a gold medal. In Azerbaijan, they get half a million bucks. I mean, okay, that's a little excessive, don't you think? Italy pays $180,000 for a gold medalist. Russia pays $135,000. France, $65,000. China pays thirty-one grand. Only Germany pays less than we do. Germany pays nineteen five for somebody who wins a gold medal, with the exception of Great Britain. In the United Kingdom, they pay, you ready for this? Nothing. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That gives you an idea, I guess, what they think about this. The other thing that I'm noting that's a little bit weird about the Olympics, I saw I, I, it caught my attention during the opening ceremonies. Did you see this? I don't ever recall seeing this 
before. Maybe it's happened before. I just haven't noticed it. But as they're parading the athletes through the stadium, you know, they're doing it alphabetically by nation. And all of a sudden, I saw this group of athletes who were called independent Olympic athletes. Independent. They, they're in swimming, shooting, and fencing. I, and then I saw the refugee Olympic team. They're participating in swimming, running, and judo. Uh, I, I assume these are political statements. I assume this is a reflection. Notice I don't know what this is. I didn't bother to find out. I just didn't care enough. It was really amazing. And then I took a look at Qatar. I mean, this is a really tiny country, extraordinarily wealthy, Middle Eastern nation. Just to give you an idea of how small Qatar is, their population is smaller than Chicago. This is a small place. And yet, I noticed, as they were parading through the stadium, they have, I went and found out, they have 39 Olympians. How does a place smaller than Chicago come up with 39 athletes? It's easy. They import them. They come from 17 different countries. Qatar basically pays athletes who didn't qualify for the Olympic teams where they live and hired them to come to Qatar where they were given citizenship and, wait for it, new names that sound like they might be from Qatar in order to compete in the Olympics because Qatar is desperate for Olympic medals. And guess what? It's never won any because when you import athletes from countries where they don't qualify for their own Olympic team, guess what happens when they compete against their former teammates in their home former countries? They lose. And so <laughs> money can't buy everything, you know what I'm saying? Oh, and by the way, four Americans are doing this. There are Americans competing for Mexico, Peru, Greece, and Belgium. Uh, I have a problem with that, quite frankly. If you're an American, my friend, act like one. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. When we come back on the program, I'm going to share with you some really amazing statistics about how people are feeling about their financial confidence how they're feeling about their financial advisor, and how they're acting with the investment advice that is being provided to them with some surprising twists to all of that. I'm going to share all that with you, plus lots of telephone calls here on The Rick Edelman Show, so I want you to stay with us. You can call right now all the way through 8.30 p.m. this evening. So you can do that seven days a week. You can do it right now. You can do it today. If you have questions about your personal finances, just call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. And my colleagues will answer your questions, get you the information you need for whatever your circumstances are with your personal finances, investments, taxes, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars, whatever your conundrum, we will help you figure it out. And you can also visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. You can click that red button. I want to talk to an advisor. Our website has tons of information available to help you learn more about personal finance and help you understand how money works and how to make it work for you. Triple Eight Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. We'll be back.
Rick Edelman is a registered representative and principal of EF Legacy Securities, an affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Edelman Financial Services is a registered investment advisor. The show's content is not tailored to any individual investor and should not be the basis for any investment decisions. You should consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence and base your decisions on your situation. Rick recorded this week's show on Thursday, supposedly because he thinks he can scale higher up the Trump Tower than that other guy. We doubt that, because Rick won't even get on a stepladder. Although he took calls from listeners who called in, you're only hearing the ones where he knew the answers, because he's a financial advisor, not Spider-Man. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. How's your satisfaction level, financially speaking? Well, according to the most recent survey by the American Institute of CPAs. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Americans' satisfaction level is now at its highest level since 2007. Very exciting. So you're feeling pretty good. Good for you. However... There are a lot of folks who are still feeling financial stress. The number one cause of financial stress, even for young people, according to a recent survey by Schwab, saving for retirement, the most common cause of financial stress. So it's not paying bills anymore, apparently, and it's not sending the kids to college. It's not dealing with credit card debt anymore. It is saving for retirement, and even young people say that's their leading cause of financial stress. According to Schwab's survey, only 43% say they know how to do it. Only 43% say they know how much they need to save for retirement. And the similar number, only 44%, have confidence that they can figure this out on their own. The number jumps dramatically. 74% are extremely competent when they get the help of a financial professional. Makes complete sense, doesn't it? You, you've never done this before. You haven't received much education about personal finance, have you? Your parents, come on, let's be honest here. Your parents haven't told you anything about money, have they? And in fact, your parents probably have terrible money habits, so observing them isn't going to do you much good, right? Your parents are happier to talk to you about sex, religion, and politics than they are about money, right? Right. So you're not getting any help from mom and dad. And how about school? When's the last time you remember taking a personal finance class anywhere K through 12, anywhere in your four years, I'm sorry, six years of undergraduate education or your postgrad education? Did you ever take a personal finance course? I don't mean a business class. I'm not talking about an economics class. I'm talking about balancing a checkbook. I'm talking about understanding how investments work. I'm talking about how to choose a mortgage. I'm talking about whether you ought to lease a car. When's the last time you took a class on personal finance? The answer, never. And how about your boss? Have you gotten any financial education at your job? I don't think so. So you've not been given any information or education by anyone anywhere that's been of any value. 
Is it any wonder that most people in the survey say they have no idea how much money they're going to need for retirement, they have no confidence of doing it on their own, but they do have extremely high confidence when they get the help of a financial advisor? Makes perfect sense. You've never done this before, but I have. My colleagues have. Financial advisors all around this country have. There's no reason to do it on your own. There's no reason to go it alone. There's no reason to do what others have done successfully without gaining the benefit of their experience. And it's demonstrated by the survey. People who have help of a financial planner are twice as confident, almost, as people who don't. Simple as that. And yet, many of those surveyed say... They don't have a financial advisor. Well, that's a huge disconnect. If you know you don't know how to do it yourself and it's bothering you, then what's preventing you from going to get the help that you need? According to the survey, you know what the answer is? The number one barrier that people say they have for why they're not doing a better job at saving for retirement, it's because they are unwilling. This is 32% said this. One out of three said the number one barrier that's stopping them from saving more, the reason they aren't going to a financial planner is because they're unwilling to sacrifice their current lifestyle, like dining out and vacations. It is more important to them to eat out tonight and to go on vacation this summer than it is to prepare for their retirement. Is it any wonder people are stressed? They're causing their own stress, if you think about it. And here's a statistic that is a little bit frustrating for those who do have an advisor. According to a recent survey by Fidelity, 45% of millionaires would not recommend their financial advisor to others. Ah! 45%? That's virtually half of the people in this country who are using a financial advisor wouldn't recommend their own to a friend. That's shocking to me. You have to assume, therefore, that by the same token, these people are planning to fire their advisor because they're dissatisfied. Fidelity's survey didn't go into details as to why they're dissatisfied. The mere fact that they are kind of says it all. And here's uh, a theory that I have as to why people say with such frequency that they wouldn't recommend their own financial advisor. It's because they don't like the recommendations that they're getting from their financial advisor. That's my theory. I can't prove that. Fidelity Survey didn't address it, but that's my theory. Now, let me move on to a different conversation. A lawsuit was filed this past week against Newberger Berman. Newberger Berman is a big mutual fund company. And they've just been sued because of complaints that their 401k plan, which is over $800 million in size, stinks. The suit singles out one Newberger Berman mutual fund in particular, the Newberger Berman Value Equity Fund. This fund has half the money that's in the entire 401k. And according to the lawsuit, the Newberger Berman Value Equity Fund is, quote, larded with high fees and has suffered from consistently abysmal performance, unquote. 
for the five years ending June 30th, the fund has returned about 4.5% per year, while the S&P 500 has returned 12% per year. So this fund really does stink. And, according to the lawsuit, Newberger Berman received at least $20 million in fees, more than it would have collected had different funds been used instead. Wow. Now, here's the fascinating thing about this lawsuit. Do you know who filed it? Newberger Berman's own employees. In other words, you've got people working for a mutual fund company that's in the business of selling this investment to investors, and these people who work for the company are perfectly happy to sell this fund to you, but when they have to buy it themselves... They turn around and they sue their employer. And, oh, by the way, Newberger Berman isn't alone. They're not the only company in the financial services industry whose own employees have sued them. Franklin Templeton, one of the biggest mutual fund companies in America, their employees have sued them because they were forced to buy Franklin Templeton funds in their 401k. New York Life has been sued. American Century Mutual Funds has been sued. Fidelity has been sued. Ameriprise, Transamerica, all of them have settled lawsuits brought by their own employees and former employees because of accusations that the investments in their 401k were expensive and underperforming and riddled with self-dealing. The only reason these funds were there was because they were offered by the companies themselves. I'm happy to sell it to you, but I don't want to buy it for me. And if that's your advisor's behavior, no wonder so many people don't like their advisor. You can fix it. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you how. Oh, and what do I tell you about MIT, New York University, and Yale? Stay tuned. We're going to be back here on The Rick Edelman Show. Visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click that red button. I want to talk to an advisor. Or call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Uh, we're talking about mutual fund companies and insurance companies getting sued by their own employees because they're... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being forced to buy their own employer's products in their own 401k plan. I am happy to sell this to some other guy, but I don't want to have to buy it for myself, these lawsuits are saying. New York Life is one recent lawsuit. They've got $3 billion in two different 401k plans in the company. And they use, in the plan, a bunch of mutual funds from the mutual fund company Mainstay. Guess what? New York Life owns Mainstay. And they're putting Mainstay funds in the 401k, resulting in a lawsuit from employees who say, according to the lawsuit, quote, from 2010 to 2016, 
The plans did not act in the best interests of the participants. Instead, the plans fiduciaries took advantage of the opportunity to promote New York Life's financial interests by using the plans to promote mainstay mutual funds, unquote, arguing that mainstay funds are dramatically more expensive than alternative funds available in the marketplace. And as a result, the lawsuit says... New York Life employees are paying 17 times more in fees than they have to because they're being forced to invest in mainstay funds, the very funds they make a living selling to other people. So here's the shocking news. MIT, New York University, and Yale University have all this past week been hit with the same lawsuits. These guys, MIT has a 401k, but NYU and Yale, they have a 403b. This is a nonprofit version of a 401k. First ever 403b plans hit with these lawsuits arguing that they have violated their fiduciary duties. Collectively, there's over $10 billion in these accounts for 100,000 employees between all three universities or 24,000 at NYU. I don't know how many at Yale and MIT. And they're arguing that the employees have been forced to pay excessive fees using investments that are poor performers because the universities had a failure to properly vet the investments being used. In fact, the complaint against MIT is that guess who sits on their board? Abigail Johnson. Guess who she is? She's the CEO of Fidelity. You've got to be kidding me. Is it any wonder that MIT uses Fidelity in its 403B and 401K plan? So here's what it comes down to. It is still possible for you to achieve financial success. It is still possible for you to attain the goals that you have established for yourself and your family. It is still possible to work your way through the minefield that the financial services industry has laid out before you. It is still possible. All you need is a little education. All you need is to understand the landscape that you're in. People can successfully walk through minefields. You simply need to know where the mines have been laid so that you can step around them and over them, and you can do it safely and carefully, methodically. All you need is a little help, and that's what I want to offer you. And I'm giving you three ways to do that this week. Three ways. First, rescue your money. My number one best-selling book, now completely revised. It's a fast read. You can do it in a single sitting. I deliberately wrote it in that way. Unlike all my other books that really take a little time to read and digest, this one is a really fast, easy read and will answer for you how you should manage your money during these tumultuous times. The one major investment goal you should have, the two major obstacles you'll face, the six ways investors fail, and the one big question you need to answer, ultimately providing you the one solid investment strategy you need to help you achieve financial security. The book's available at booksellers everywhere, Amazon.com. And you'll really, I believe, benefit a lot by spending an evening blowing through it. And if you prefer, if you'd rather not read it but rather hear it, we offer you my new seminar based on the book Rescue Your Money. The seminar is being held this Tuesday and Wednesday. 
7 p.m. each evening. It's a fast 90 minutes. It's a lot of fun, really entertaining, as well as highly informative. We're doing the seminar in Taunton, Massachusetts, near Boston, in California, in the uh, Southern California, in Costa Mesa and Woodland Hills, in New Jersey, Mawa and Long Branch. In New York, we're doing it in Midtown. In uh, Chicagoland, we're doing it at Arlington Heights and Oak Brook, Salt Lake City, Boca Raton, Bethesda, Maryland, as well as Columbia and Annapolis, Maryland. And we're doing it again on August 23rd and 24th in Detroit, San Diego, Hartford, Baltimore, Phoenix, New York City, Philadelphia, D.C., San Francisco, and L.A. The seminar is just 15 bucks a person, 25 a couple. Everyone who comes to the seminar, you'll get a free copy of the book. So you can get the book on your own, or you can get the book by coming to the seminar. Either way, entirely up to you. You can register online at ricedelman.com, or you can call right now at 888-PLAN-RICK, and we'll register you and your guest over the phone. Those are two really fast, easy ways for us to share with you the education and information you need, and I want to take it even a step further. I'm really excited to tell you that my brand-new television special airing on public television stations across the country is starting this week, and for the entire month of August, all across the country, public television stations are airing my new special called The Truth About Retirement. The show is already scheduled to air, covering about 30% of the country so far. There are more than 50 cities on the list. The list is growing. Forbes magazine has reviewed the television special, and here's what they said. The headline is, quote, worth watching. The truth about retirement on PBS. Quote, financial planner Rick Edelman offers sensible, timely advice. If you'd like timely and sensible advice about investing, claiming Social Security, and estate planning, you'll find it's worth your time, unquote. That was a review published by Forbes magazine. And I hasten to add that Forbes' uh, opinion here is about my PBS television special. It's not an endorsement of me or my firm or the products and services we provide to you. They're just saying that the television show itself is worth your time, quote-unquote. The uh, PBS special is going to air in Boston, L.A., Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Richmond, Orlando, Detroit, Salt Lake City, Houston, Atlanta, Tampa, Denver, and Cleveland, dozens of cities across the country, including including Chattanooga, Yakima, Topeka, and... I knew I should have made a left turn at Albuquerque. Albuquerque. So uh, I'm really excited to uh, tell you about that. Tune in to PBS. Check your local listings to find out when the show is going to air. You can watch it live. You can tape delay it as you wish so you don't have to miss the Olympics. And it's going to air starting now all the way through the end of the month on a variety of cities and a variety of PBS stations all around. So our goal is to give you the financial education you need to help you work through that minefield so that you can still achieve all of your financial goals that you've laid out for yourself and your family. Hey, let me change subjects here. You're listening to The Truth About Money with Rick Edelman. Let me talk about the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Yeah, that's a name that rolls right off the tongue. Uh, the National Insurance Crime Bureau has just released its list of the 10 most stolen automobile vehicles in 2015. Number one on the list, 52,244 of these cars were stolen last year. The 1996 Honda Accord. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. The 1996 Honda Accord. There were 52,000 of them stolen last year. 
The number two was the 1998 Honda Civic. 49,000 of them were stolen last year. Number three, the 2006 Ford Pickup, followed by the 2000 Ford Chevrolet Pickup, followed by the 2014 Toyota Camry, the Dodge Pickup, the Toyota Corolla, the Nissan Altima, the Dodge Caravan, and rounding out our top ten, the 2008 Chevrolet Impala. Seriously? Now, I'm not sure who to criticize more. The people who are driving these 1996 Honda Accords or the people who are stealing them? Well, according to the National Insurance Crime Bureau, if you would like to prevent your car from being stolen, number one, lock your car and take your keys. That one step, they say, is the most important, easiest, and effective step you can take to prevent your car from being stolen. Lock your car and take your keys. Number two, have your car installed with an audible warning device, you know, an alarm that goes off and lights that flash in case someone tries to break in. Number three, have an immobilizing device, a kill switch, or an ignition system that uses smart keys. Very effective. I don't think they were around in 1996, but I'm just saying. And finally, a tracking device that emits a signal to the police, which is very effective in helping authorities recover stolen vehicles. And if you suspect fraud or vehicle theft, you can anonymously text the keyword fraud to TIP411, and the National Insurance Crime Bureau will help you recover your vehicle. Although, quite frankly, if you're driving a 1996 Honda Accord, you might want to consider doing none of the above in the desperate hopes that you'll have an opportunity to buy a new car. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Here's a new investor alert from FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. They're now warning investors about something I haven't seen them warn investors about in about 20 years, a boiler room scam. There have even been Hollywood movies about this stuff. Well, when's the last time you heard anybody talking about boiler rooms? Well, FINRA says they've received more than 5,000 phone calls from senior citizens who have called their securities helpline for seniors. I'll give you that phone number in a moment. And as a result of those phone calls, FINRA has recovered more than $2 million for consumers who have been ripped off by scam artists and crooks who use the telephone to make phone calls featuring hard-sell tactics, pressuring investors into buying shares of investments that promise high returns and so-called can't-miss investment opportunities. Have you ever gotten a phone call like that? You need to ask your parents if they've gotten them because these phone calls are repeated, they're aggressive, and they're incredibly common. The investments often tout low-priced penny stocks or micro-cap stocks. Investors who purchase shares often discover that the sales pitches were fraudulent and the shares they bought are virtually worthless. If you've ever got a suspicion that you've been victimized or your parents have, call the FINRA Securities Helpline for Seniors at 844 574 3577. Again, that's 844-574-3577. You can also visit uh, FINRA's website at FINRA.org. It's rather amazing that the scams of old have apparently resurfaced. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us for more. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Let's head right out to the telephone calls. We're heading to San Francisco. Tom is on the phone. Welcome to the program, Tom. How you doing? Hi, Rich. Fine, thank you. Before I forget, thank you. I sincere thank you for taking this question. My pleasure. How can I, I help? Okay. 
Here we go. I bought a condo overseas for 180000 earlier this year, $180,000, my first property ever. I paid cash 55000 last April. The balance will be paid next month when I visit. I sold mutual funds. Keeping in mind, I will pay taxes on capital gains. My losses exceed my gains by nearly $1,000. I earn a low six-figure salary, and I'm probably in the highest tax rate due to lack of deduction. I sought no advice. My question, would you advise a client to pay cash for property if it meant no borrowing or early withdrawals of 401ks or IRAs? And, uh, yeah, that's my question. If you liquidate this $180,000 total to pay cash for the condo, how much other money will you have available to you? What else do you have in savings and investments beyond the one eighty? Uh, approximately $800,000. Okay. That gives me a greater peace of mind of your strategy. So uh, from a strategic perspective, obtaining a mortgage makes more sense. However, because of your financial situation, you're not making a terrible decision to do what you're describing doing. So I don't object to what you're doing because of your situation. But if you were to ask me which is the more efficient approach the more effective approach over time, it would be to have a mortgage on the property. Okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I'm really glad you called, Tom. Uh, This is the Rick Edelman Show. We're going to continue with our telephone calls off to Capitola, California. Michael's on the phone. How are you doing, Michael? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Appreciate you taking my call. I've got a question regarding when I retire. I plan on retiring overseas, and I wanted to know if there are any special things I need to worry about when retiring overseas. Zika? <laughs> I'm just saying. Fort- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that's a terrible joke. Uh, so, um, yeah, what do you have to think about overseas? Well, if you're, this is the second call in a row. We've had about expats. Uh, what is, why is everybody leaving? Where are they going? Uh, so, anyway, you're talking about expatriating uh, to move to another country. I'm guessing it's because you've heard that you can live like a king in a foreign country, on compared to how you'd live here in the U.S. Correct. That's a big motivation for a lot of folks. It's true. The le- standard of living that you can maintain in many countries overseas, in South America, in the Far East, uh, the cost of living is so low relative to American costs that you can live fabulously. There are several things to uh, be aware of. Number one is... Uh, the actual reality as opposed to the grass is greener kind of thought process. For example, uh, you're going to be pretty far away from family and friends. You're going to have, uh, you're not going to have access to American health care. Uh, you're also not going to have access to American insurance, um, Medicare, Medicaid, um, as well as uh, many American uh, health insurance policies won't provide you protection if you're overseas, uh, you'd have to come back to the U.S. for uh, services and treatment. Um, you have to look at the stability of that nation wherever it is you're having to go. Uh, from a crime perspective, from a governance perspective, from a socialist perspective, from all different kinds of, of attributes. Uh, and you've got to decide if it's a lifestyle you truly will want to have. Some countries won't allow Americans, or I should say foreigners, to purchase real estate uh, where uh, uh, where you're going because they don't like the idea of foreigners owning uh, real estate. So you have to explore the legal issues associated. Some countries will allow you to do it, but will hit you with uh, additional taxes 
uh, for the purchase. Canada is doing that, for example, right now, uh, levying a 15% excise tax on foreigners who buy real estate uh, because they don't want to see their country owned quote-unquote, by uh, non-Canadians. So you have to look at the political issues, the tax issues, the social issues, the medical cost issues, uh, cultural and lifestyle issues, and so on. It might, a place that might be fabulous to rent might only be a fabulous place to go visit as opposed to literally moving there. So I would encourage you, before you buy, rent there for six months to a year and see if you still feel a year from now the way you feel today. Okay, that sounds good. Are there any... Issues regarding, say, Social Security checks coming over to any particular country. I mean, do we have issues with that, or would it be just by nation by nation? It's, uh, it's nation by nation. Tax law will vary. You, uh, If you don't renounce your U.S. citizenship, you will still owe uh, taxes. Uh, most countries have a tax treaty with us, so if you pay taxes to the U.S., you won't also pay taxes to them, and vice versa. So you generally don't have to worry about a double taxation issue. Uh, but you do have to deal with the fundamentals of banking, having uh, money deposited, having access to funds, and that's why you've got to worry about nationalization. You know, if, if, the, if the country pulls a stunt like Venezuela, where they literally take um, private assets, um, you want to know that you are protected. Um, so uh, there are a lot of issues to consider, and that's why I argue that you should um, crawl before you run. Go there as a vacationer, as a renter, before you buy. I'll give you an illustration. One of my clients is um, about to move to uh, Italy, and they bought a, uh, a place in Tuscany. They've been vacationing in Italy every summer for the past 20 years. They both speak Italian. Um, they know exactly what they're getting into. As opposed to another client of mine who announced he's retiring and moving to Florida. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And he's never been there. <laughs> Which one's crazy? Florida. <laughs> yeah, right? So walk, don't run. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Thank That's you. Sure thing. I appreciate the call very much, Michael. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestelman.com. It's hour two of The Rick Edelman Show here on KFI AM 640. I've got some exciting news. Forbes magazine has just come out with its first ever ranking of the nation's top wealth advisors, and they ranked me number 10. So I'm very excited. I'm in the top 10 of wealth advisors in the nation, according to Forbes magazine. Forbes received more than 11,000 nominations and ranked me in the top 10. What, what I found really interesting about this uh, ranking is that of the top 10 advisors that they ranked, eight of them 
are with wirehouses. They're stockbrokers and financial advisors at Merrill Lynch, UBS, or Morgan Stanley, eight out of ten. There are only two of us who are independent financial advisors in the top ten. The other guy has a $5 million household minimum. He won't even take you as a client unless you bring him $5 million bucks. And his typical client, according to Forbes, is $20 million in size. The guy, uh, the, his firm has just 275 clients. What a sharp contrast between him and me. In our firm here at Edelman Financial Services, we have over 30,000 clients. We have 42 offices around the country. And part of the reason is our account minimum per household is just $5,000. You don't need $5 million to get our advice. You can get our advice with virtually nothing. And in fact, if you don't have the five grand, we'll help you anyway. We do a lot of pro bono services to help people who want to get out of the mess that they're in and the jam they're in. And many people are starting out. Others are starting over. So uh, we're really excited, very honored to be included among the top 10 wealth advisors in the nation, according to Forbes. Uh, the Forbes rankings are the opinion of Shook Research. They are based on advisor interviews, client retention, industry experience, compliance record, assets under management, and revenue generated for the firm. Investment performance is not considered, and advisors do not pay to be in the ranking. You know, mentioning this, uh, as we realized when we received word from Forbes that we were named to the top ten, made me realize, I'm not sure how well you know me. You know, I've been doing this radio show for over 25 years. But uh, I'm not so sure you've been listening to the program for 25 years. Uh, you may be a brand-new listener to the show. The, this radio show is now broadcast nationally, and uh, it hasn't been airing for 25 years in every city that it uh, airs in at the moment. And so you may not know a whole lot about me, and I think that's an important issue because there are a lot of people now offering financial advice on the radio, as well as TV and blogs and newspapers, magazines, and the web and so on. Who are these people? And how do you know that you should be listening, paying any attention at all to what they're saying? So let me share with you my background um, to at least serve as a way of introduction for you. Uh, I graduated with honors from Rowan University. Uh, the university has uh, awarded me an honorary doctorate of humanities in uh, 1999. I'm an, uh, a graduate of the executive program of Singularity University in 2012, I am currently a distinguished lecturer at Rowan University, a resident expert of the Dr. Oz Show, a columnist for Financial Advisor Magazine, and contributor to Inc.com. Uh, I am a former uh, member of the faculty of Georgetown University, where I taught for nine years. I hold six professional designations. I'm an approved or certified continuing professional education instructor uh, for two states, uh, as well as the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards and the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy. That's for CPAs. I'm also a member of the FINRA Board of Arbitrators. And uh, in addition to being now named one of the top ten financial advisors in the country uh, by Forbes magazine, I am also ranked three times by Barron's as the number one independent advisor uh, in the nation. The ranking is based on assets under management, revenue, and quality of the advisor's practice, including the advisor's regulatory record. Investment returns are not considered because they are dictated by each client's risk tolerance. The rankings are based on the universe of applications submitted to Barron's. Like all applicants, principals of Edelman Financial Services submitted quantitative and qualitative information to Barron's, which Barron's reviewed to produce the rankings for 2009, 2010, and 2012. Yeah, sorry about that, but I have to play that whenever I mention the fact that I was three times ranked number one independent advisor in the nation by Barron's. 
Barons. Uh, I uh, also uh, have been inducted into Research Magazine's Advisor Hall of Fame. That was in 2004. Their criteria includes a minimum of 15 years in the industry, substantial assets under management, superior client service, and having earned recognition from peers and the broader community. And again, investor returns and experience were not considered for the Advisor Hall of Fame. Uh, We're also on lots of other lists that rank us among the largest firms in the country based on either assets under management or the number of clients. Uh, We tend to be lowest on these lists based on uh, household minimums. Um, We're also on lots of lists regarding my influence in the industry. In 2013, I was a panelist at the SEC's National Roundtable on Fixed Income. In 1998, 2002, and 2006, I served as a delegate to the National Summits on Retirement Savings. I'm the only financial advisor in the country who served as a delegate to all three. I was appointed by two different U.S. presidents to those summits, uh, Bush and Clinton. Uh, I've testified before Congress several times. I've spoken to the Congressional Black Caucus. I'm a policy board member of the American Savings Education Council and a charter partner of the Foundation for Financial Planning. Uh, We've also won lots of awards for our financial education, for my books, my radio show, my TV show, our newsletter and website, including several Book of the Year awards. And we do a lot philanthropically as well. I'm on the boards of the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. I'm a former chairman of our local United Way for two years. I was on that board for six years. Uh, I'm currently on the board of the Wolf Trap Foundation for the Performing Arts, the only performing arts center in the National Park System. I'm chair of the Audit Committee. I'm on the Executive Committee as well. So is Michelle Obama, but she never comes to the meetings. Uh, I've also uh, funded the Edelman Center for Nursing at a Unova Health Foundation. My wife and I uh, were the benefactors of that, along with uh, the Edelman Planetarium at Rowan University. I began all this back in 1986 uh, after being a writer in the financial trade press. Uh, Gene went to work for Payne Weber while I began as a financial advisor. Our plan was to join together to open our own firm in a few years, but we started it in 1987. And financial education was always the basis of what we do. We began with college planning seminars to elementary school PTA groups. And today, seminars are still very important to us, and that's why we'll do this year probably about 600 events nationwide. Hundreds of thousands of people have attended our seminars over the years. Nearly 20,000 people have attended in the past year alone. Uh, I've written eight books. I'm working on my ninth right now. Uh, My PBS television special is airing at the moment. It's my fourth special for public television. And this radio show, as I said, is now in its 25th year. It was just Gene and me back in the 1980s, but now we have 150 financial advisors in the firm, 42 offices coast-to-coast, 500 employees in total, and we're serving 30,000 clients and managing $16 billion in assets for them. Edelman Financial Services, all told, has won multiple awards as well from several publications as a top workplace. And you can get complete information about everything I've mentioned, including my professional designations and my full biography, at edelmanfinancial.com slash awards. Please don't use this info as the basis for choosing Edelman Financial Services. It doesn't reflect any specific client's performance or experience, and it's not meant to be serving as an endorsement of me or my firm or my colleagues. So I mention all this to you, and I'm trying to brag about anything or anything like that. I'm just trying to help you realize that when you're listening to people on the radio, when you're reading their column in the newspaper, when you're watching them flash across television, being interviewed on some financial network, step back and ask yourself, who is that person? What are their credentials? What's their background? What's their experience? And if you don't know, be careful before you accept as gospel whatever they happen to say. And as you're choosing your own financial advisor, Ask them these detailed questions as well. What's your background? 
Tell me why I should believe anything you say. You might also want to check us out at edelmanfinancial.com for my article, How to Choose an Advisor. If you're wondering, how do I figure out, does my advisor have the experience and credentials and expertise to be able to serve me? Well, on our website, How to Choose an Advisor, the 18 questions you want to ask is available to you free to help you make sure the advisor you're hiring has the skills, credentials, experience, and expertise necessary to help you achieve your financial goals. When we come back on the program, speaking of public television and our new PBS special, I'm going to tell you of an opportunity regarding our financial planning services that we have never done in our 30-year history. And we're only doing it right now, this month only, in connection with public television. And I'm going to tell you this tremendous opportunity for you when we come back. So stay with us right here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple Eight Plan Rick online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. I mentioned in the last uh, segment that we do lots of educational seminars around the country. This week, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're presenting my seminar, Rescue Your Money. It's based on my number one best selling book. And you're going to learn the one major investment goal you should have, the two major obstacles you'll face, the seven ways investors fail, the one big question you need to answer, and the one solid investment strategy you need to help you achieve financial security. We're doing the seminar Tuesday and Wednesday this week, 7 p.m. each evening, a fast 90 minutes in uh, Boston, L.A., New York, Chicago, Salt Lake City, Boca Raton, Miami, uh, Bethesda, Annapolis, and Columbia, Maryland. We're doing it again August 23rd and 24th in Detroit, San Diego, Hartford, Baltimore, Phoenix, New York City, the Philadelphia area, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, and L.A. It's $15 a person, 25 a couple. Register online at rickedelman.com or by calling 888-PLAN-RICK, which you can do right now all the way up through 8.30 p.m. this evening. And we also have my brand-new public television special, called The Truth About Retirement. The TV show is airing on public television stations all across the country, and we're doing something for public television. We provide financial planning services, as you know, and investment management services. When we do a full-blown financial plan for our clients, we charge a one-time fee of $800. And we've been doing that for I don't know how many years. Because of our television special, if you watch my television show, The Truth About Retirement, on your local PBS station, and make a pledge while the show's on the air to PBS of $240 or $20 a month for 12 months, you will receive a financial plan from me and my colleagues at Edelman Financial. Instead of paying us $800, if you make a pledge to PBS of $240, you'll receive the very same financial plan that we routinely provide. We have never done this before. And we are excited to support public television. We're excited to support you and give you the opportunity to obtain our financial planning advice without you having to pay the $800 that we normally assess. This is only available from your local public television station and only available during the broadcast of my PBS television special, The Truth About Retirement. So check your local public television listings to make sure you don't miss it and you don't miss this opportunity. I'm Rick Edelman. Let's uh, take a telephone call, shall we? We're heading off to San Francisco. John, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, Rick. I'm doing well, thank you. How can I help? I'm like many, and I've never had a financial advisor. I own my own home, 
I have about 80000 in a 401k. Um, I have about 30000 in a savings account, and um, I have no bills. I'm retired. I take home about $4,300 a month on retirement. I would like to know if you could suggest anything or help me from there. Well, tell me how much you spend on a monthly basis, John. Probably 1000 a month. The 4300 a month in income, that, those are pensions, Social Security? Yes. Uh, it's a pension. I was in law enforcement for the last 31 years, and I just retired. Wow. And so I get um, $4,300 a month. You were in law enforcement for how many years? Uh, 31 years. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your service. That's awesome. And how old are you now? I'm 53. And are you planning to stay retired, or are you going to go work somewhere else? I'm done. I'll never work again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great attitude. I love it. I'm done. I ain't doing this. <laughs> Good for you, John. You deserve a break. Um, so uh, you're in fabulous financial condition, John. You're spending a thousand dollars a month, but you're receiving forty three hundred a month. This is this is awesome. So I'm not quite sure you need a whole lot of help here, unless you're thinking that you might want to improve your lifestyle, or you know, when I say improve, I mean you might want to spend more than you're spending. Perhaps you want to drive a more expensive car, live in a more expensive house, or travel more often or more extravagantly or things like that. Do you have those kinds of aspirations? Um, I'm very blessed. I have a very good life, and and money's not the real issue other than I feel like I'm wasting my money. And every time I hear you talk, I listen to you every weekend, and every time I hear you talk, I think, boy, I need a financial advisor. And so I just finally decided to call. I feel like I'm wasting the, the 80, the 401K is just sitting there doing nothing. Gotcha. Um, um, there's 30,000 sitting there doing nothing, and yeah. I just feel like I'm wasting. Yeah, you're missing opportunities. I got it. I understand your point, but let's let's focus on this because I'm not so sure you are, and here's why. There's a simple reason for investing, and it's not to be able to earn higher returns than you're already earning because that's your perspective. Gee, your money is sitting in cash. It's, it's earning not much, and you're missing opportunities. That's not the point. The purpose of investing is not to seek better returns than you already are. That's not the goal, because none of us are in control of what future returns might be. The goal isn't to seek better returns. The goal is to preserve a lifestyle, to achieve and preserve a lifestyle. And if you've already achieved it, then you want to take as little risk as is necessary to sustain it. So if you are enjoying your lifestyle... There's no reason to take any more risk than you already are. I mean, sure, better returns might be available out there, but they would be obtained at potentially higher risk than you're currently exposing yourself to. And the risk-reward ratio is out of whack because even if you double your money, you're not going to double the size of the hamburgers you eat, right? Cars right. are only so fast and hamburgers are only so thick. If you're already able to pay for the car that you like and you're able to eat out as often as you like and enjoy the lifestyle you have, as you said, your life is very blessed, There's there, all you'd be doing by earning more money is just keeping score. You'd be All you'd be doing it for is bragging rights, and that's no that's, that's a bad reason for doing it. So I could argue very, and I will argue, keep doing what you're doing. Now, I haven't gone into any detail with you about where that 80 grand in your 401k is, in fact, invested. So, sure, it might be worthwhile to sit down with a financial advisor. We've got offices near you in the Bay Area in California to take a look and just to make sure we're not being foolish or silly about the management of the money, to confirm that you're doing the right thing and perhaps offer a recommendation for change as appropriate. But that aside, don't assume that failing to earn the maximum potential return is an error. It isn't an error. You shouldn't be trying to necessarily improve return. You should be focusing on sustaining your lifestyle. 
and you've got that nailed. Uh, that's yes, business for life. I, I get the uh, pension for life. Yeah, you're, you're the life. American dream, John. You've hit it. You're 53 years old with more income than you need for the rest of your life, guaranteed by the government that's providing you the pension. So good for you. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't need a financial planner. And let me tell you why. Although we've been focusing on investments here, there's more to financial planning than just investments. For example, there's your home ownership and mortgages. There are employee benefits. Uh, there's health insurance and long-term care insurance. There's life insurance. There's disability insurance. There's estate planning to make sure that the assets you do have are properly managed so that they can be preserved for you for your need in the future and passed to heirs and survivors upon your demise. So there's a need for planning, not necessarily a need for change of your investment strategy. Make sense? It does make sense, yes. So I would encourage you to call us, same phone number you dialed here today, 888-PLAN-RICK, and have a conversation with one of my colleagues over the phone and see if it makes any sense for you to pursue this notion even further. Rick, I thank you very much for your time, and I'm glad I called. Me too, John. Thank you so much. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Let's jump right out to the telephones. Portland, Maine. Dale's on the phone. Welcome to the program, Dale. How are you? Good. I- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How are you doing, Rick? Wonderful. How can I help you? Well, I am uh, currently scheduled to retire in 12 years. In my 401k, I have uh, just under half of my investments in a target date 2030 fund. Recently, I've been questioning the wisdom of being in a target date fund due to the fact that it uh, gets more conservative as I approach that to retirement date. And I'm considering changing up or changing over to an, uh, an equity index type of, uh, type of fund investment. You said half your money was in it. Correct. Where's the other half? <laughs> well, I have some in a large cap value. Uh, and uh, some uh, very small amount in a diversified bond and a stable uh, stable value fund. But uh, and then I also have a, another portion of the uh, retirement 401k that's in a directed uh, indirect uh, individual stocks, and, and that 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 holds about 150 to 175 thousand. What's the total value of all of this? Uh, 520. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're doing it wrong, Dale, as you suspected. Uh, so let me explain mm-hmm. why. Uh, target date funds are fast becoming the most popular investment of choice in 401k plans all across the nation. And they are, frankly, an improvement over what individual employees used to be doing in their 401ks. Because as we talked earlier on the program, many people have no education about personal finance. They don't know about investment strategy. They have no clue as to how to pick the choices in their 401k plans. And many not only have no knowledge, they have no desire 
to do it. This subject bores them or intimidates them, and they just have no clue. And so left to their own devices, left on their own, they literally guess. And survey after survey shows us that people just wildly guess, or they ask the guy in the cubicle next to them, who's equally clueless, or they just randomly and equally pick all the choices in the fund, or they look at the past performance, and whatever did best last year is the one they buy because they foolishly think, or uh, through lack of education, believe that if it was great last year, it'll be great next year. And the result is that workers tend to have terrible performance in their 401ks because they don't know what funds to buy, they don't know how to mix them, they end up buying at the wrong time, they don't hold on to them, and they, they buy high and they sell low, all kinds of big problems come about. To help solve that problem, the industry has created what are called target date funds, where you don't have to worry about that asset allocation. You don't have to worry about picking the investments. They do it for you. And the way they figure it out is by targeting the date you're planning to retire. You said you're planning to retire in about 12 years, so you picked the 2030 fund, which is about when you're going to retire. Makes perfect sense. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Pick a target date fund, the 2020 fund, 2030 fund, 2040 fund, 2050 fund, that closely approximates the date by which you'll retire. But here's the first mistake that you've made, Dale, and, and which most workers make, by the way. So this is extraordinarily common. You um, did not place all of your money into the fund. And that's what you're supposed to do. If you're going to use a target date fund, I write about them extensively in several of my books, uh, explaining how to use target date funds. And most people blow it on this point. They only put their, some of their money into the fund. And you have to understand that the fund is designing an asset allocation model for you based on the age at which you're planning to retire. So if you mix and match the target date fund with other funds, like you've done, Dale, you distort that asset allocation model, meaning you thwart the integrity of the strategy that the fund is doing, rendering it either... Uh, poor or worse, dangerous. So if you're going to use a target date fund, you must put all of your money into it and you must leave it all there until the target date is reached. So that's the first issue. The second issue, though, is the point you raised. You have doubt as to whether the target date fund is, in fact, an effective vehicle for using toward your retirement. And I share your concern. And here's why. Target date funds are wildly different, even though they often have the same target date. Your retirement plan has one 2030 fund, but there are a couple of hundred of them available in the marketplace, and they are all very different. Now, the fact that they're all different suggests that yours might not be the right approach to use. One target date fund of a 2030 date might have 70% of its money in stocks. A different one might have 30% of its money in stocks. Which one is right? And if you don't like the allocation that yours is using, there's nothing you can do about it because you're forced to use that one. Your boss isn't giving you the option of all 200 of them in the marketplace. So that's a really big concern. Here's another concern. Is your target date fund two? or through. This is a detail that really, really matters. For example, here's what I mean. You picked a fund that has a target date of the year 2030. Between now and then, the 
allocation to stocks will go down. Does that make sense? Yes. And why? Tell me why it makes sense that as you get closer to retirement, the amount of equities goes down. Well, I would presume that uh, they want to uh, maintain the value of your uh, of your uh, your portfolio and uh, and not expose it to the risk associated with losses from market volatility. That's exactly correct. You're exactly right. As you get closer to retirement, the theory goes, you want to reduce your risk. And so as you get closer to retirement, the portion of the account held in stocks goes down. Makes perfect sense. But what happens when you reach retirement? Are you going to suddenly liquidate the entire portfolio in one lump sum and spend all of it on day one? No, no, of course not. not. You're going to slowly spend the money over the course of your lifetime, right? Which is another 30 years. So some target date funds take your equities all the way to zero at age 65. Whereas other, that takes you to retirement. Other target date funds acknowledge you're going to use the money through retirement to your life expectancy, which means the equity allocation at age 65 might still be 50%. Whereas the other one is at 0%. So is your target date fund a to or a through fund? Has a dramatic impact on the allocation of stocks, which will have a dramatic impact on the risks you're taking and the returns you can expect to earn. Most people are unaware of the construction of target date funds, and they use them inconsistently with other funds. The result is they don't deliver as expected. All of those are big problems. So I share your concern about whether or not you should be using a target date fund. The only thing I can tell you is using it the way you're using it is dead wrong. You should either be using it 100% of the time or not at all. So the real big question here is what should your asset allocation look like? How much of your money should be in stocks versus bonds versus uh, stable value, et cetera, et cetera? And to tackle that, we would need to go through the financial planning process with you. To look not just at the 401k you have here, but other assets and savings. Just because you're going to leave work in 12 years, does that mean you're going to truly retire? Are you married, and does your spouse have income, and does your spouse have retirement assets? And what are the spending that you're going to incur in the future relative to what you're incurring now? What are the income sources you're going to have? All of these questions from a financial planning perspective are vital to help us figuring out what is the proper approach to take, what is the best way to go about this, to determine what the asset allocation ought to be. So you're asking the exact right question. Unfortunately, I can't give you a simplistic answer in just a few minutes here on the show. It's what we'll accomplish in a couple of hours through the financial planning process. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll I'll be sure to come in and see you guys then. We look forward to helping you do that. Just call us at AAA Plan Rick, and we'll be able to get together. No, Not a problem at all. And, uh, Dale, I really appreciate your phone call. Super, Rick. Thanks. Thanks for the info. Sure thing. Have a great afternoon. I'm Rick Edelman. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Stay with us. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here, and we're going straight out to the telephones in California. Gwen's on the line. Hi, Gwen. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine, Rick. Thank you for calling. How can I help? Well, I had a question uh, about becoming, I'm uh, somewhat retired, um, and I've been considering moving to uh, another state in the U.S. However, I've had an acquaintance uh, give me some information, some magazine about being an expatriate overseas. Mm -hmm. And in kind of thinking about this, I kind of wonder 
what are the pros and the cons of doing so. My main concern is if I were to become uh, ill to the point where I'm no longer able to dictate what sort of care I want, my niece has my medical directive, my stepdaughter has my financial power of attorney. If I'm in Costa Rica or in Thailand and they're here in the U.S., to me that would put a burden on them in trying to get to me and make sure that my wishes have are being honored. Well, let's take also, a, I'm in another country, and I don't know what another country's uh, rules are about that. Exactly, so. and that was the whole key, Gwen, is that a power of attorney is a legal document under U.S. law. There's no assurance that a foreign government will care or of what that document says or honor it. So you would have to explore right. the rules and regulations, laws of the country you'll be living in. And as you pointed out, what good is that going to do if your uh, relatives are 6,000 or 14,000? Well, they can't be 14,000 miles away, but they can, <laughs> they can be pretty darn far away. Um, uh, you know, yes. How far can you walk into a forest? Only halfway. The other half you're coming out. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, you're raising very interesting points. I would say that just on the surface, you're not a candidate for, for being an expat. This wasn't your idea. A friend of yours said, don't move to Cleveland. Move to, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, yep. uh, hey, I read a magazine. What a nifty idea. Well, no, I, you know, I don't think that being an expat is for you, just based superficially on the limited information that you've described. If you do want to pursue it, I mean, the fact you even said, well, I don't know, either Costa Rica or Thailand. Seriously? Those are pretty two different places. Um, so what I would recommend is that you take a vacation to Costa Rica and another vacation to Thailand and see what you think about those. If yeah, you don't want to live I... there, if you don't want to be there for a month, you don't want to be there for the rest of your life. Uh, very true. And that's uh, based upon a previous call that you had with uh, somebody about being an expatriate on other ramifications of doing so. Right. Uh, you mentioned one couple that had gone to Italy every year on vacation, so they, they kind of had an idea of what they were getting into by moving there. Um, let's see, I'm trying to remember where I went last on vacation, Rick, and so, you know, for me just to decide... What the hell? I'm going to retire in Thailand would be totally insane. <laughs> yes. And I've so, never been there. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, I think you're due for a nice vacation. Check the place out and then go back repeatedly in different seasons, different parts of the country. Do lots of research as to the stability of the country economically, socially, culturally, politically. See if you really would want to live there. Talk with your family and friends. See if they're ever going to come visit. Find out what it costs to get from here to there, because if you're going to be coming back and forth for holidays or for family events, I mean, you have to factor in those costs as well. So you've got a lot of research, a lot of studying to do and a lot of experiencing to get under your belt before you could ever contemplate this as a legitimate, serious idea. Okay? Yeah. In the meantime, it kind of makes more sense for me just to at least rent in, uh, get out of California and go go to either Utah or Texas. At least I've been there. <laughs> and you're, you're right. The key word there is rent. Don't obligate yourself by a purchase. Rent somebody else's home and enjoy yourself. 
Uh, well, that makes sense. Well, Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Gwen. Uh, I'm Rick Edelman. This is the Rick Edelman Show. What on earth is in the water today? Three phone calls from people, all of whom want to leave the U.S. Uh, is there something in the water? I'm wondering, is there something going on in this country at the moment that is causing potentially people thinking about living somewhere else? You know, it's not just uh, people who are thinking of leaving the country. So are companies. Uh, a lot of corporations are leaving the United States. They're called inversions. This is when a U.S.-based company buys another company that's headquartered outside the U.S., and they shift their headquarters from wherever it is here in the U.S. to the new country of the company they've just acquired. Why would a company do this? It's so that they can shift their tax status from being an American company subject to American tax law to being a foreign company owned and, and operating under uh, that nation's tax laws because American taxes are higher for corporations than most other nations. And over the past three years, a couple of dozen companies have engaged in these inversions, dramatically slashing the taxes they would otherwise owe to the U.S. Treasury. This has become a political issue, in fact. Both uh, Clinton and Trump have weighed in on this. Uh, Hillary Clinton has said that she's going to slap a, uh, an exit tax on companies that do this to try to discourage them from doing it. And it's raised a, a big uproar over companies that are manipulating tax law internationally for the benefit of themselves and their shareholders. Well, you know what? Companies aren't the only ones who engage in inversions. I'll bet you know an awful lot of people who have done this. We were just talking a moment ago with Gwen, who says that she's going to leave California and go somewhere else. Taxes are a factor in her decision. I'll bet you know people who live in New York, New Jersey, who say, I'm moving south. I'm going to go to Florida, where they don't have a tax at all. California's tax rate is over 13%, their top bracket. New York's is almost 9%, like New Jersey. Vermont's is almost 9%. So why not just move across the border to New Hampshire, where it's only a 5% tax? You live in Illinois with a 3.75% state income tax, or Michigan with a 4.25% top state income tax? Move to Texas. There's no income tax in Texas. That's an inversion. That's a tax-motivated decision to change your situs. Corporations do it by leaving the U.S. and going to other countries. States experience it with individual residents. There was a story a few months ago about a billionaire who left New Jersey and went to Florida. One guy, a multi-billionaire, and when he left the state of New Jersey, the state lost hundreds of millions in revenue because this one guy left. And Florida didn't get the revenue because... Florida doesn't collect the tax. Well, what motivation do governments need to lower their taxes other than that? So if instead of saying we're going to tax companies for leaving the country, here's an idea. Why don't you take away their motivation by lowering the tax rates to make them more comparable to the tax rates of the competition, meaning other nations? Just a thought. So you need to evaluate if it makes any sense for you to leave your state of residence, which is a high-tax state, 
to move to a different state, which is a lower tax state. But be careful, because there's more to life than taxes. Do you really want to move where it's incredibly hot or dry or lack of uh, culture compared to the uh, opportunities you have where you currently live, where your friends are now thousands of miles away, where your grandchildren are thousands of miles away, where you have to get new doctors, where you have to get new everything? There's more to life than money. So before you decide to relocate, if motivation is strictly a tax basis, talk with your financial advisor to see if, in fact, it's a well-thought-out plan, as Gwen is deciding for herself as well. We can help you with this decision. Like all other personal finance issues, call us, 888-PLAN-RIC. Do that anytime you like, seven days a week, 8.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. My colleagues and I will help you get the answers you need to all your personal finance questions. 888-PLAN-RIC, online at rickedelman.com. I am Rick Edelman. Thanks for joining me this weekend. See you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.